Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode in our five-part Setting Yourself Up for Success series. I'm Helen Tupper, I'm one half of your normal Squiggly Careers podcast team, the other half Sarah is on holiday this week, so rather than be lonely and talk to myself, I have actually invited five different people to talk to me about some of the skills we need most right now. So earlier in the week I talked to Marcus Buckingham about strengths and Bianca Miller-Cole about personal branding and today you're going to hear my conversation with author Alex Sujung King Pang and we're going to talk about the topic of rest as well as an author of multiple books including Shorter, Rest and The Distraction Addiction. Alex is also the founder of a business called Strategy and Rest and it's a consultancy that's developed and devoted to helping companies and individuals harness the power of rest to shorten our work days whilst we also stay focused and productive. And honestly, as someone who struggles a bit with rest, I think I'm probably more likely to get restless than have true rest. I found his perspective on deliberate rest really interesting. Um, And it's actually one of the first questions I ask, so I won't give too much away on that. But over the 10 minutes of our conversation, you'll hear us talk about topics like the passion paradox, which I found very interesting. Also the value of hobbies and the importance of naps. And we're running a competition to win a signed copy of Alex's latest book shorter and you can get all the information on how to win that at the end of the podcast so just listen to the end for details on that so let's get started Hello, Alex, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Helen. I really wanted to talk a little bit about deliberate rest a little <laughs> bit more because I had a bit of an aha moment that scared me a little bit when I was reading rest, which was talking about sort of reframing how you think of rest. So you talk about it in the book as rest is not the space where nothing happens. The counterintuitive discovery is that many of the most restorative kinds of rest are actually active. Things like exercise or walk or serious engaging hobbies do more for you than sitting on the couch binge watching television. But I thought, ah, what if rest is not about the space where nothing happens? It's just, it's the space where something different happens. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to assume that it's a negative space. Actually, right. rest can be a really positive thing. It's just a different space. It's like putting your brain, it's deliberate rest. You're kind of putting it in a different space. Yeah. You know, we often think of rest as merely the absence of mm. work, right? 
as nothing. And that has, I think in today's culture, negative connotations, given how much we define ourselves by our work. But I think if you are someone who likes what you do, who is prone to what sociologists call the passion paradox, you know, the fact that you are passionate enough about your work to overdo it to the point where eventually you'll come to hate it, mm-hmm. or, or where that passion can be exploited by employers. You know, academics talk about this a fair amount. But and I think that recognizing that, you know, especially for people like that who have difficulty switching off, either because the work is really, really interesting or sometimes because it's very high stress and you may bring problems home from the hospital or from other shift work or such, that having something else that captures your attention and engages you is actually a better and more reliable kind of rest. Mm -hmm. You know, Winston Churchill talked about how, you know, the man of action requires, you know, not pure leisure, but rather another diversion that can... It's a brilliant impression. (laughs) That can can capture his attention and energies, et cetera, et cetera. And for him, it was painting. Mm. But, you know, I think that one of the things that impresses me consistently is the number of creative people or successful people who have what look like expensive, dangerous, time-sucking hobbies that turn out when you dive into them to be important because they may be the only thing that gets you out of the office. They are the only thing that they're passionate enough about to compete with their work. And in some cases, if you've got a super busy schedule, taking the two weeks to go climb the last 50 Monroes or you know, go surfing somewhere is the only thing that's going to get you out of the office. But I think that all of this starts with recognizing that rest is not just sitting on the couch with the remote in one hand and a you know bag of salty snacks in the other. Yeah. That the most restorative kinds of rest are often much more active than that, both for like various physiological reasons, but also because they're the kind of rest that lots of us are actually going to take Mm -hmm. and take seriously. Any other sort of top tips for individuals who are trying to put rest into their days? Yeah, you know, if you've got control over your own time, then a couple other significant things are starting work earlier, kind of front-loading the day, doing your most important work super early in the morning is often amazingly valuable because it does two things. And one is it simply clears up more time in your schedule for the less significant stuff that you've got to deal with. It also, I think, reframes your day. If you've gotten through a big chunk of something that really matters early on, then you can give yourself more permission to rest later on. And is early relative? So I, I think I might be a bit like, yeah, I'm an early riser. Mm-hmm. I love I love it. I like to get up before the kids and crack on. It just makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Whereas my business partner is less of an early riser. So she might be at her desk maybe by nine, where I quite like to be at my desk by sort of like seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's early. It doesn't have to be the, you know, the five o'clock people. It's just the first thing that you do in your day. Okay, so there is some evidence that the super early rise is good no matter what. I'm actually very much a night owl. When I was in college and grad school, I never started homework before about 10 p.m. But for me, getting up really early was basically was the only time that I could work uninterrupted. It was a way of investing my best energy in my own work. And it was also before the kids got up. 
And there is some research that suggests that if you're a night owl, getting up really, really early makes you a little bit more creative because you're working against chronotype, your brain is operating a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And so you're more likely to have creative solutions to problems. I feel like there's a lot of people listening that are hating me right now. Going, I, I'm a know, night owl that has to get up early to it, be creative. Um, it, you know, what we're talking about is getting a little bit more creative, yeah. right? It's not the difference between no creative and creative, fortunately. The other thing that I recommend from experience is number one, that you get better with this over time. The first couple of weeks are really hard like any significant habit, but after that it gets better. The second thing is, if you're doing this for some creative enterprise, setting up absolutely everything you can the night before, including what you're gonna work on, is super helpful. For me, that means everything from literally setting out the clothes I'm gonna wear to a post-it on the screen that says, you know, the three things that I'm gonna work on. This is good because, first off, it blackmail my future self into actually getting <laughs> up, right? It's harder to rationalize sleeping in. But the second thing is that putting those ideas in your mind makes it more likely that your creative mind will work on them even while you're asleep. John Cleese has this fabulous line about when he was at Cambridge starting to write comedy sketches, and he said that he would have trouble coming up with the punchline to a joke. And then he'd go to sleep, and the next morning, not only would he, would he have the punchline, he couldn't remember what the problem was. And there were versions of this kind of trick that writers and mathematicians and composers have that essentially encourage their creative minds to keep mm. working on things. I feel like it's so. a bit like Hansel and Gretel for your brain. Yeah. You know, like you're kind of putting right. your little crumbs around exactly. your brain, or your brain will get there while you're sleeping. You'll right. be at your destination. It's a... You know, the other important thing I would suggest on a daily basis is naps are not just for little kids and those tiny yoga mats. There's a good bit of science that suggests they are more restorative, both physically and creatively, than yet another latte. And so in the context of shorter and kind of making the environment that people are working in better for rest, yeah. one of the very explicit things is like make the week shorter or the days shorter. Mm -hmm. You can talk a little bit about, because I, when I was reading the book, there were a couple of things that I saw as an options. There was, you know, just examples of some organisations like The Mix and Tash Walker, who we both know, who does a four day week. Mm -hmm. There's some people that have shorter hours. Right. Some people have kind of more flexible structures to their hours. Does any one of those seem to work better? Is there a good one for a company to start with, to trial, which I know is one of the other things in the book, talks mm -hmm. about starting with trials? I think right now, the evidence is that different kinds of shorter work weeks are a bit like diet or exercise. Okay. The best one is the one that you'll stick to. Okay. You know, now there are some companies or some industries where there is already kind of one slow day in the week anyway. Well, right? slow day in the week. That's quite a yeah. nice way to think about it. You know, kind of, you know, they've got casual Fridays. Mm. Maybe there's not a lot of business that comes in that day. And so there is sometimes one day that is where there is the least to lose if you never actually open. You know, in other cases, shortening shifts, but actually stretching out the number of hours that a business is open is a good strategy. So there is a... Um, a Toyota repair shop in Sweden that's been doing this for years and years now. And the mechanics there work six-hour shifts rather than eight-hour shifts. And as a result, that repair shop is open 
you know, from I think 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., which means two things. One is that people can drop their cars off earlier and pick them up later. So it's not as disruptive for people's work. The second is that the mechanics can actually work faster because they can work more intensively in those six hours than they could in eight, which means that they get faster turnaround because they're doing two shifts. Also, the facility itself is physically smaller for the volume of work that it does because you know you can kind of double up on some of the tools and things, and it is far more productive and each of those mechanics bills something like 40% more time than people working eight-hour shifts. Mm. Leaders are finding ways of making this work. And so it strikes me that this is not just another perk that is going to go to the highest-performing employees, but rather this is the beginnings of kind of a global movement to mm. finally make use of productivity enhancements and other changes that have been building up in the workplace over the last you know, 20 years that have not yet translated into big improvements in people's lives. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it interesting and you were able to take some things away for yourself as well. If you'd like to enter the competition where you can win a copy of Alex's latest book, Shorter, which he signed for me when I met him pre-All Things Lockdown, you can just head to our Instagram channel and our account is at amazingif, all one word, and look for the post about today's episode. If it helps, it has a picture of Alex looking very restful on it with his eyes closed. And all you've got to do in the comments is just let us know how you find your deliberate rest. The competition is going to be open until the end of the month, so it closes on the 28th of August and all the T's and C's and that kind of stuff will be in the post if you need to read those things. But again, yes, thank you so much for listening. Hope you're finding this series interesting. I'm going to be back tomorrow talking to Megan Wrights, who is a professor at Ashridge Business School, and she's an expert in how we can all develop the confidence to speak up at work. And for some people, I think maybe we're feeling a bit removed and maybe that our voice isn't being heard as much. So hopefully that will be a conversation that's really helpful for you if that's some of the things that you are feeling at the moment. Speak to you all very soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.